0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. You forgot who you are,
1: and you've forgotten whose you are, who you belong to. That's why you won't risk. And every life experience that you've gone through, God wills it to be so, because it's all training ground for the day you will have something in your gut that says, man, I need to do this. If you say no, you'll never know what it is to fulfill your purpose.
0: Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. You're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron and welcome back to the program. Today we continue a message in Pastor Jeff's Awakening series. So far, he's looked at Luke chapter 12 and the story of the man who stockpiled goods for himself. As Pastor Jeff continues this message, he's discussing risk and risking things for God and trusting in Him. Let's finish this first message in the series now with Pastor Jeff.
1: God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him will have what kind of life? When does eternal life start? Thank you. Finally, one out of four audiences, it started already. Now is the quality of life that begins now. You don't wait till heaven because your eyes are open now and you see everything from the perspective and the point of reference of the cross. And now you know what matters. And these old people said, man, this is the gospel. Stop, reflect, what really matters in your life and is that what you're doing? You know, the second thing they said, and I loved it, oh, I, they said, can you imagine 90 years old? You know what we'd do? We'd risk more. I, lo- I just love that. We would risk more. We would not live a safe, mundane, mediocre, average life because it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about whether you took the risk. Jesus said in John ten ten, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I want you to hear me. Guys, those of you, man, God is moving in your life and he's trying to get you out of that rut and mediocrity, but you have to understand there is no fullness of life without risk. None. Because the abundant life is to go where most people are afraid to go, but it's the one Jesus calls you to. They said, we would have risked. What was down deep inside, we would have followed. By the way, that right, that right there leads me to the real problem in America today. The real problem is that they have taken the original Star Trek off the air. That's the problem. I can't find it anywhere on the cable now. Somebody help me. The original, the good one. Because Leonard Nimoy, is they come out in this horrible fake starship into the darkness, And he would say, challenged, now say it with me, to go where no man has gone before. My concern is that I'm in a generation with a bunch of young people who are going to go where every generation has gone before. They're going to think the same way every other generation has thought. They're going to do what everybody else has done. They're going to be where everybody else has been. So you're going to have your little home with 2.2 children and your little three-car garage and your BMW and jacuzzi. And all the while inside you, the spirit of God is saying, why don't you chuck it all? Why don't you risk it all? Why don't you bet your life on me? Why don't you give your life to me? Hey, what's the definition of insanity? You know it, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You're miserable and you're going to keep doing the same things and you think it's going to change. Risk. I don't think you realize what a hick country boy I am. Okay, maybe you do recognize what it is. Okay, I'm good with that. In 1985, when I got the chance to go to Africa, I was terrified. You gotta think I'd never been out of the state of Tennessee. My relatives ran moonshine across the county line. I'm dead serious, I've seen the still. To leave Tennessee, and then I think, man, I was at a fork in the road right then, and I've had a few since then. What if I said no? I would've never seen Victoria Falls. I would've never been able to feel the wind and the mist and take a deep breath and feel like I was alive. Man, and that moment has jumped out of eternity and it's indelibly impressed. I'll never forget, I relive it, because I was alive. And I'd never have known what it was like to have a lion sleep at your door. And I know what it's like to have a lion sleep at my door. And I'm not talking about no zoo either. I think about time to time, about the chairman of the Board of Elders making that call down to Savannah. And I, I think about what went through my mind when he said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about the senior pastor at CCV. And I remember the first thing that went through my mind, we were talking and I was kind of saying nice things, but in my mind, I'm saying, man, why would I want to leave Savannah? It's safe. It's easy. I just preach and teach, but the final buck doesn't stop with me. I don't have to listen to difficult people. Not that we have difficult people here. Why know we don't but I just teach my little teachings and preach my little sermons and it's easy. And I think about that sometimes. Why would I want to go to California? The expense, the traffic, preach five times every weekend. I got to be insane. But I feel alive. And we're on the verge of something. I can feel it. Church planners know these things that we're about to go. We're close, not there yet. And I'm not saying this just to pump you up. Actually, it's not for you. This is for me. We're on the verge, man, of going where no church has gone before. I feel alive. What if I said no? How many of you guys and gals, how many of you young people are going to live lives of quiet desperation because you won't risk? And just because, listen, just because you didn't risk the first 25 years of your life, doesn't mean you can't start now? And did you think that maybe you guys that are in those jobs that you hate, that detest, that are just ripping you to shreds, you got no joy in your life. You say, Jeff, uh, uh, it's easy for you to say that. You're sanguine. Well, yeah, that may be true. But just because it's easy for me to say it doesn't mean it's not true. Because some of you, Man, you've had this internal urge in you for a long time, a gut in you that says, move, go on, risk. Do what you always wanted to do since you were a kid. But you won't do it. You're afraid. You're afraid for two reasons. Number one, you've forgotten who you are. Now, folks, I just want to. I'm trying to wake you up here, and I'm. I, it, it, this takes drastic measures, and I've got to be very careful how I say this next thing. So I, I have written it down, word for word, to make sure I don't mess up. But I want you to hear it. Sometimes you just got to It's got the shock factor. Works sometimes. So I'm just giving you a heads up. It is true that I am a sanguine personality, extrovert, and I'm willing to try anything at any time. That's just my person, and I realize some of you aren't like that. But I know for all of us, God puts something down deep inside, a discontent, a holy discontent that he wants us to do something different. And if you don't risk, you're resigned to a life of mediocrity. Do you hear me? And I know I am 100% saying, this past week I was having a conversation with my wife. We were talking about how little we have in common, because we do. Robin and I are opposites, total opposites. Nothing like, I like to be outside playing sports. She likes to have a cup of tea and a good book which basically sends me right into a coma. (laughs) We're not, we talked about how, but we do have something in common, our love for God and his work in our lives. And I want to tell you, if not for that, I'm not sure we'd be together. But if you have that, you have everything. You don't need anything else, understand? If you both love the Lord, man, you're all about him. But I made her laugh for the first time this week in 15 years. Now, don't take that wrong because my wife is not somebody. My wife smiles when I empty the dishwasher and run the vacuum. I've shared that with you before. To make her really laugh is a hard thing, but I made her laugh because I told her, I said, honey, we do have something in common. She said, what's that? I said, we both love me. Now, (laughs) you can see some of you wives, your husband saying that, right? And I didn't mean it. I just said it to make her laugh. And she laughed. She didn't want to laugh, but she couldn't hold it back. She was laughing so hard. So, I know that I'm that personality, but I want all of you in the room to hear this next three minutes, all right? Very carefully. It's true. You were once a sperm. You were. It is what it is. You can say that in church. And not only that, you were one in five million. One in five million. And you all lined up at the starting line. (laughs) And at the end of this long, long tunnel, there was one egg. And there was a race. And you won. (laughs) You came first, baby. You're a winner. And I mean, the Olympics, that's like child's play compared to the race you won. <laughs> because you are here by divine design, there is a divine appointment and a hole in the universe that only you can fill. Which is what David says in Psalm 139. I'll praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth well. You know what that word means? This is my fourth time in my ministry of explaining this verse. It means you are wonderfully. That's the Hebrew word for intricate detail, piece by piece, personality, temperament, everything. God shaped and formed you exactly the way he wanted you to be. With all your hang-ups and everything. And every life experience that you've gone through, God wills it to be so. Because it's all training ground for the day you will have something in your gut that says, man, I need to do this. If you say no, you'll never know what it is to fulfill your purpose. If you say yes, you'll live. You'll really live. And then you'll be wonderfully and awesomely made. People will stand back and say, wow, look at that guy go. You forgot who you are. And you've forgotten whose you are, who you belong to. That's why you won't risk. My friend John Ortberg, who used to be at Chicago at Willow Creek, says that when he was at Chicago, he came to L.A. with a bunch of his minister friends. They went downtown just to find something to eat. Found out later they weren't exactly in the good side of town. And all of his friends went home. He decided he would stay a little longer and reflect. So it was late into the night. In fact, early in the morning when he left, he came out onto the street turned to the left and he saw two guys that were just hammering each other. And one guy was pulverizing the other guy. And he said, I'm a pastor. I couldn't, just, I couldn't just walk away, but I'm also afraid. I also couldn't get smacked around. So he said, I don't know what came over me, call it risk or whatever, but I looked at the two guys and I said, stop that now. <laughs> and the two guys looked at him and their eyes got big and they ran away. And he said, And don't come back. (laughs) And he says that he turned, feeling pretty good about himself, and he ran into Mongo, who was the 6'8", 275-pound bouncer at the restaurant. And he said to this guy, he says, let me describe him. If Hercules and Xena Princess Warrior had a child, this would be it. (laughs) His spiritual gift is breaking up fights. And then he says, I started to think about this. How brave would I be if Mongo was always behind me? But then he says, but God is always behind me and he's bigger than Mongo. And when there's an internal something in me that says, take a chance, risk, young people, hear me. Oh, please hear me. Listen, what is it that you want to do? Get it done. What is it that you want to be? What are you going to do with your life? Do it. And maybe stop and say, this is God in me. Want me to step out and risk, and it's going to take faith. Man, that's why I love Abraham, that guy. 94 years old? Okay, 94, wakes up one morning, Sarah, yeah, Abe. Sarah, I had a dream. I had a vision. What now, Abe? What kind of vision? We're going to create a new people, a new humanity, a new epic in human history. We're going to leave this place, launch out in the unknown, risk everything for God. Why, Abe? Because that's what God wants me to do. I can feel it. Abe? Yes, Sarah? How's this new humanity going to begin? I'm glad you asked, Sarah. <laughs> and what did they name the child? Isaac, which means which means laughter or joke. How would you like that to be your name? God, you got to be kidding. 94 years old. And well, you know what she said about feeding the child? And the next thing we hear about Abraham and Sarah comes out of Hebrews 11 verse 8. Abraham and Sarah are leaving the Ur of the Chaldees not knowing where they are going. Abraham's going down the road with a walker. Where you going, Abe? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know that either. Why are you leaving? Because God has given me a vision that I can do something fantastic for his kingdom. And I'm tired of living in that boring old tent. These people said, listen, if Christianity is anything, it it is not a call to be safe. They said they would reflect more. They said they would risk more. And finally, they said, I would do more things that would live on after I die. Now, I'm out of time, so you got to stay with me. You got to speed up and get it done. They would do more things that would be remembered after they died. They didn't say that they would be remembered, but the things they did would be remembered. Back in Tennessee, we had the blue hole, the fishing place that we would all go up to in Hampton. It was so deep. Nobody ever touched the bottom, to my knowledge. And I know that a few guys drowned trying to do that cold, deep. And you'd swing out on a rope from this branch, and it looked good from the shore. And then you got on the rope, and you'd swing out, and all of a sudden it dawns on you how far a drop that really is. And I know this from experience. First time you do it, it's like, no, you hold on for dear life. No way you're gonna let go. It ain't gonna, you just tie your restraint. Then you realize, I have to let go. Rope's not gonna swing back. Sooner or later, I gotta let go. And then you, let go and take the risk. When you start falling, man, I got to tell you, your breath and your heart's pumping and you hit that cold water, you go, whoa, man, I'm alive. Wow. And it's exhilarating. My friend, Pastor Leroy Brown, one of these days you're going to die and you don't believe it, but you are. And they're going to throw you in a hole, put dirt on your face and go back to the church and eat potato salad. When you were born, you cried, everybody else, they were happy. When you die, Everybody else is going to cry. And the question is, are you going to be happy? And then he says this, that'll determine or be determined by a simple question. Oh, I, I love African-American preachers. And he'd say it in his deep, rustic voice. That depends on whether you're going to live for a title or a testimony. At your funeral, people gather around and talk about how much you achieved. Or are they going to talk about how much you let go Of your own life that you might serve others and enjoy the ride when I was in Zimbabwe had a caddy last story and we're done take a deep breath take it in here we go had a caddy named Gibson I joined a golf club I was ecstatic to learn that it was only going to cost me 95 US dollars a year to be a full member because I was a pastor here they charged me three times so I'm thinking, this is great. I walk into the caddy shed. I need a caddy. Caddy master, need a caddy. Hello, Father Jeff. We don't have any caddies. No caddies. They don't have electric golf carts in Africa now. I so said, I need a caddy at the tournaments today. Sorry, man, they're all taken. But I need a caddy, someone that can, can go with me and teach me the things of the course and just every time I play to be with me. Yeah, I know you do, but we don't have any. And I look back and there was a guy sitting right there in the caddy shack. I said, what about that guy? And he says, oh, Father Jeff, Father Jeff, you don't want him. I said, why not? Oh, no, Father, I I can't explain it, Father Jeff, but you don't want him. I said, I do want him. Get him out here. And he comes out. Name is Gibson. He was the perfect caddy. For two and a half years, he did not say one word. He just smiled. At first, I thought maybe he had a screw loose or a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, I don't know. But he just smiled, just like this, all the time. And that was perfect for me because he could, I always thought he thought I hit a good shot because he was always smiling. I'd say, Give me a six iron, he'd just give me the six iron and smile. No matter what happened, just smiling. Now, there are times I'll admit, I'm walking up the fairway and I'm looking the uh, distance to the, to the green. And I think, okay, Gibson, I think I need to get, get Gibson. And he's just walking up in his own little world. Gibson over here. And he'd come back running, smiling. <laughs> Never, two and a half years. After he was caddying for me for three months, I discovered that every time I paid him, that the other caddies would beat him up and take his money. And he would come back the next day when I'd play and I'd notice he had bruises. And I think, man, what's going on? I finally found out the story. I was livid, as you would be. I went to the caddy master and I said, do you know what they're doing to this guy? And he said, yeah, but I, I can't do anything. About it. Yeah, sure you can. And he said, well, what are you going to do about it, Father Vines? I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. You're going to give him the ability to eat all the food he wants, and you're going to put it on my bill so at least he has food, he doesn't go hungry. And then I'm going to bring him a box of, had clothing and stuff that had been sent over by the U.S., and we'd hide it in Tim Price's golf office, and then at the close of the day... Uh, Gibson would get it and go home to his family, I guess his family, because I never figured out whether he had a family or not, and he'd go home on the bus. I knew he lived about a half an hour away because another caddy told me. And over time, I'd be able to, he got food and the other caddies hated that he could have meat pies, chicken pies, and everything and didn't have to pay for them. So I developed this relationship. Two and a half years doesn't say a word, not a word. So I'd practice my sermons on him. He, He just smiled. I'm dead serious to you now. I was young, about 25. I'd practice sermons. I'd, I'd tell him about, I'd always talk about Jesus, what he does on the cross. I'd rehearse everything. And Gibson, I always thought it was good. And I know because he always smiled. <laughs> the day came when we had to leave Zimbabwe. Work permit was not renewed. And I told my wife, I said, man, this is going to be hard. I got to go and tell Gibson I'm leaving the country. And I don't know if I'll ever see him again. And Rob, said, that's going to be hard. And I went to the golf club. I said, Caddy Master, I need to talk to Gibson because this is his livelihood we're talking about. But we were able to sell some things and get Zimbabwe dollars, which had absolutely no value in America. So we were able to leave him with about six months' salary. And gave him some clothes and stuff like that. And I said, Gibson, I, I know we've never talked, but I just want to tell you that I appreciate. Uh, it's, it's been a joy getting to know you and your smile is contagious. You know. <laughs> and uh, I love you, brother, and I, I wish you the very best. I said a few other things. I turned to walk away. Gibson grabs my arm. Still smiling. He speaks. He only says this: He says, Jeff, I know Jesus. Thank you. That was it. One of these days, they're going to open the book on your life. What's it going to say? Did you reflect about that and lived your life in light of that? Did you risk when God told you to, or did you settle for mediocrity? Because you forgot who you are and to whom you belong. And are they going to stand around when you die? And talk about your title or give testimony to the difference you made in other people's lives because you let go of your own to serve others. Man, that is the gospel. And now it's your decision. Father, I thank you for your love. And I thank you for uh, the manner in which you work in our lives, the way you open our eyes at, at times that our eyes need to be opened. The gospel message is so encouraging. It, it lifts us up to know that you're behind us and that the life often that we live is not the life you want for us at all. And we know you don't promise a life of protection where there will never be pain. But you enable us and promise us the abundant life that through the pain there is great growth. There can be even excitement and vitality and the abundant life can be the result. I pray that our eyes would be open, our lives would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me